On the northeast tip of North America, on an island called Newfoundland, there's an airport. It used to be one of the biggest airports in the world. And next to it is a town called Gander. That's the opening line from a Broadway musical called Come From Away. Some of you might have heard of it. It's won a bunch of awards, including a Tony Award, Tony Award, which is the highest honor that I think a musical can get. Um, full disclosure, I've never seen the show, but I have heard it several times. Uh, but I'm not necessarily obsessed with the musical, but the story behind the musical, the true story, I'm sort of obsessed with that. And if I can tell it right, what are the chances of that? Then maybe you will also become obsessed with that story. Welcome to the Drive Home with Timothy. Wow, that was a really good opening. Uh, let's just keep going strong. Timothy's here too. Say hi, Timothy. Okay, great, thanks. Um, so the town of Gander had its heyday in the 40s and 50s when its, uh, its airport used to be one of the busiest airports on the planet because the planes that were crossing the Atlantic Ocean would have to stop on this little Canadian island where Gander was for fuel. Um, and so the town basically just supported everybody who worked at the air- airport. But in the 60s, jet engines made it possible for these planes to go further with less farther. We've had this discussion, further versus farther, right? Uh, made it possible for these planes to go farther with less fuel. So now they could just fly right over Gander and it kind of dried up. And by the end of the century, uh, it was down to, they, I mean, they got like five or six flights a day coming through Gander was all. So the city kind of dried up as well, became a pretty small town. Um, but... On September 11th, 2011, when the terrorist attacks happened and U.S. airspace was shut down completely, there were 38 planes that were crossing the Atlantic that became that were sent to um, to the Gander Airport. So 38 planes showed up at this tiny little place and. Um, they were mostly coming from Europe. They had about 6,700 people, some say up to 7,000 people from 95 different countries, including everywhere from Israel to France to Dubai, um, plus pretty much all 50 states as well. There were 19 animals, including two chimpanzees. I don't know how chimpanzees can afford to fly from Europe to the U.S. I don't know if they were coming back home from vacation or if they were from Europe and going on vacation wasn't made clear in in my studies. But as a security precaution, because those of you who remember 9-11, remember everybody was understandably nervous afterwards that they were kind of waiting for the other shoe to fall. These people were kept on their planes for hours sitting on the tarmac, 38 planes on a, on a runway that was basically used for six flights a day, these people were stuck. There was not an infrastructure to get them off of the planes and keep them in a secure location. Some of them sat there for 14 hours on the runway. And, you know, these are transatlantic flights that were long flights. Anyway, so some of these people have been on their plane for 28 hours from the time they boarded to the time they finally were able to get off. So think about where you were four hours ago. Now think about four hours and a day ago and imagine that you're stuck in a giant metal tube with, you know, 200 plus people. Nobody can get off and take a shower or a smoke break. Nobody can get out and get some fresh air. Everybody's using that tiny little bathroom at the back of the plane at least once, some multiple times. Eventually, on some of these planes, the flight attendants were like, screw it, and they got out the booze. They raided the minibar and just started handing out liquor 
and sort of little parties broke out on these planes. These people, most of them, had no idea what was happening. There were rumors about a a helicopter crash into a building somewhere or military exercises, so they didn't know there was a terrorist attack, so they can't be blamed for thinking, like, screw it, we're stuck on a plane, let's make the best of it. Um, It was only later they found out the full scope of what had actually happened. They were, of course, much more somber uh, at that point. So eventually these... 6,700 passengers and all the flight crew members are allowed to get off the planes and go into this tiny little town. Gander had fewer than 10,000 people at the time. Um, There were about 500 hotel rooms in town, and all of those were gobbled up by the pilots and flight crew. So that meant that the rest of the people had to go to, well, somewhere else. So the, the people of Gander were running around making churches and schools and community centers and gyms into temporary shelters. The passengers also were not allowed to bring their checked baggage off of the planes. Think about that for a second. You can take your carry-on. All you can take is your carry-on with your Chex Mix and your Sudoku. That's it. Um, So these uh, Ganderanians, I don't know what you call people from Gander, Ganderites, Ganderphiles, also had to round up clothes, toothbrushes, diapers, tampons, pillows, blankets, um, medicine. Uh, nobody had their medications with them, apparently, because the pharmacies were calling. I think they said they had to call like 12 different countries to get medications. I don't know how they got the medications there. I don't know. That part didn't make sense to me. Um, and they used up all of the nicotine gum on the island like within the first day because nobody could smoke on these planes or in these schools. So besides the, the slumber party supplies, they also had to be fed. So people ran to the only grocery store in town and took all of the food, literally all of the food, and cooked basically around the clock. The town ice rink was converted into a giant refrigerator. The mayor later said that he didn't go home for five straight days. That's how long it took before these people could leave the island. Um, But the Ganderese did not stop giving um, of their schools, their churches, their... Uh, their supplies, and their time. Many of them even opened their homes to people who needed like a hot shower or a quiet place to sleep, um, which is pretty remarkable. And we, we know that, that these Ganderellians were going to be nice people, right? Like they're Canadians. The maple syrup that runs through their veins makes them be pleasant to everyone, even old people and foreigners, doesn't matter. But, you know, you wouldn't expect the Gandalorians to go this far above and beyond. They took their refugees sightseeing to whatever sites there are on tiny Canadian islands. You know, they're like, now, now turning your attention to the left over there, that's where the moose and the bears do their frolicking, don't you know? That's kind of fun. Maybe I'll act out all the stuff they did. They also went ice skating. No, they couldn't go ice skating because that was the refrigerator now. Uh, Some people said they went berry picking, which sounds like the most Canadian activity in history. How would we act out berry picking? No, not just with your finger. Timothy's picking berries over here. (laughs) No, don't don't eat the blue ones. They'll kill you, don't you know? Canadians say don't you know at the end of every sentence. I don't know if you know that, don't you know? Um, They went moose hunting, which I think was my favorite. Like, you get stuck on a Canadian island, of course you're going to go moose hunting. Um, so they'd like sh- uh, shoot that frolicking moose over there right in the head, don't you know? I'm going to be done with the Canadian accents because I don't think it's my strong suit. Um, so anyway, for five days, these uh, 
these Gandylanders provided whatever their guests needed and even had a giant initiation surgery or surgery. They had a huge surgery, a giant initiation ceremony where they made everybody an honorary citizen of Gander. Um, they had to like drink, I think they called it Screech. It's a, it's a drink specific, it's a very potent alcoholic drink specific to Gander. And they made him like kiss a fish. Um, and the mayor later said something like, um, you know, they came as about 7,000 strangers, but they left as 7,000 Gandertopians, don't you know? That sounded a little more Indian than Canadian. Um, yeah, the wheels are coming off now. But after all that setup, I didn't come here to talk about Gander. I came here to talk about a man named Nick Marson. Nick was an oil industry professional from England. He's in his 50s, and he was flying from England... I don't know whether it was London or somewhere else, to Houston, Texas for work. Um, On his flight, there was a woman named Diane Gray. Diane was from Texas, and she was also in her 50s, and she had just spent a couple of weeks visiting her son in the UK. He was there, uh, stationed there with the Air Force. And um, after their flight had been diverted to Gander, Nick... And Diane met on a plane because everybody else on the plane was partying and drinking in the back, and they went to hide from everybody else. Nick wanted to get some work done. Diane just wanted some peace and quiet, and they started talking. They started talking on the plane, and they continued to talk for five straight days. They did not. They basically became inseparable. People on the island mistook them for a married couple. Um, when, When people found out they weren't, there was actually one person there who offered to marry them. And in kind of a fun little story, Nick was talking. Nick was talking about the how somebody offered to marry him, and he said that Diane had a couple of drinks in her at that point, and she was like, "Sure, let's just get married." And he said, "I knew that she only said that because she had had a couple of drinks, and so being the gentleman that I am, I went and got her a couple more drinks." Um, and who knows what happened after that? But they did not get married on the island. Um, when the ordeal was over, Nick went back to the UK, Diane went on to Texas, but after just a couple of weeks, he couldn't stand it anymore. And he just picked up and moved to Texas and went and found Diane and asked her to marry him. They were married almost a year to the day after they had met, um, in Gander and they honeymooned in Gander, obviously. So take from this whole thing, what you will. There's a lot in there. Kindness to strangers and beauty coming out of tragedy and the moose and the bear shall lie down together, don't you know? And, you know, whatever else you want to find in there. But the Nick and Diane thing, they almost certainly would not have found each other without their little five-day stay among the Ganderlandians. And I'm not really like an everything happens for a reason guy. For me, there's just too much randomness, apparent randomness in the universe to think that every little thing means something. Uh, But I do think that wherever you are, there is probably a Diane Gray somewhere on your metaphorical airplane. And when your plans get changed by a hurricane or a pandemic, or even probably a terrorist attack, if you're paying attention, you just might find her. Thanks for listening. We love you all. We'll see you next time.